So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, a way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a work. I don't see it five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have some appreciation. That's that cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might have been cool. This is On The Cusp. Hello, I'm Ben Green and welcome to On The Cusp. This week, my guest is Marcy Jero. She's an actress who's been on shows like Comedy Bang Bang, an improviser on the UCB house team Search History, and she's the writer of shows like Girl Camp the Musical and Newsy Doozies. If you're just discovering On the Cusp for the first time, you should know that there's lots of ways to listen. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and I hope you'll subscribe to the show on one of those sites. This episode is sponsored by Ty Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue in Los Angeles. For a limited time only, mention promo code ONTHECUSP at Ty Pepper to receive extra magazines at your table. Ty Pepper. If you rearrange the letters, you get the word happier pet. But no matter how you spell it, it's fantastic. It's Ty Pepper. So, to me, this was a little bit of a surreal episode of On the Cusp to record. That's because usually the people that are on this show are people I become friends with in the UCB community. But Marcy Jero is somebody who I considered a celebrity when I was in my early 20s. See, the summer of 2006, my favorite TV show was not actually on TV, but was a web series called Project Improviser. Uh, the idea of Project Improviser was that it was a competition between eight improvisers at UCB, and whoever won the show would get to be on a UCB Herald team. Marcy was on that show, she was amazing on the show, and she actually ended up winning. And so I was a huge fan of hers, and 19-year-old me would have been so excited to know I was going to get to do this episode. What's even more exciting is that Marcy has become an actual friend in the last few years. Uh, she's been on multiple teams with my fiance, Madeline Walter, and because of that, I've gotten to hang out a bunch with Marcy and see how funny and generous and kind she is in person. Um, she's actually going to be one of Madeline's bridesmaids at our wedding, and I just wish I could show a screenshot of that bridal party to 19-year-old me. I would definitely flip out. So let's get right into it. Here's my interview with the endlessly charming Marcy Jero. I get wet standing in their shade. Something's wrong with my depth perception. So I walk in place till I reach a destination. So what year did we meet? Was it 2011? Yeah, I think we, we definitely probably met after... No, let's see. We probably met 2012, right? Because is that around when you moved from New York? No, or that's when you got on Cooper? Because I don't think I knew Madeline before Cooper at all, right? So, yeah, that's probably when we met for the first time. Yeah. But I've been aware of you since 2006. Whoa! Did you know that? No. Because... I was the biggest Project Improviser fan. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. And so, like, I that I watched that show. Well, first, can you tell what Project Improviser is? Project Improviser was a web-based reality show 
Well, there were nine improvisers chosen, and they did it right after Harold auditions. So it was people who did not make Harold teams in New York. Uh, and every week we were to learn a new form, and we had coaches. Our co- our first coach was Chris Gethard. It later became Zach Woods because I think Chris booked something. Uh, and our judges were Anthony King, who was the artistic director at the time, uh, Jackie Clark, and Jason Manzukis. And every week we were to learn a new form. So we would have a, a late night rehearsal on a Tuesday. Then we would perform on Wednesday and they would eliminate one person after the performance. Which is not like really in the nature of improv. Which is not how... Generally. Yeah. And it was based on like, did you take the notes you were given last week? Which is a cool criteria. Yeah. And there were great people like like you and Sean Clements, Sean, like had not made Harold teams, I guess. Sean Clemens, uh DC Pearson auditioned for it, right? He made Paul Downs auditioned for it, did not make the cut. Very, very bitter. No, uh, <laughs> he like he's actually in the first episode. I, I think making uh, making a joke about I forget what the joke is, but it's very funny. <laughs> I just remember seeing DC Pearson like playing a parrot in the pilot episode. <laughs> yeah, he, I and I. It was really funny because I almost didn't make it. I was in like a maybe pile, and maybe that was for effect. I have no idea. They were like, ah, they liked you guys, but you weren't good enough. Come audition again, and we're like, oh no. Um, but that makes for a great story since you ended up winning, right? Yeah. Well, spoiler. No, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I there was only one other girl uh, in the show, and it was my indie teammate from Bombardo was Beth Newell and I was like I was like we have to I I remember before I started the show thinking to myself don't do this unless you're gonna win it you just have to win it now because I felt a lot of like girl pressure not from other women but that like at that time at UCB there were still only one or two women on every team and I did not make a team and it's in a time where they put five women that I remember that specific Harold audition round, five women got put on teams and it was like Chelsea Clark, Fran Gillespie, Trisha McAlpin. I think, uh, maybe I can't remember the other ones, but it was like those people that are still my friends that I remember getting on and being like, yes, they're good. But I, I'm so sad that I wasn't one of the five women. Yeah. And like at that point, like that's all we were hoping for to be one of five women out of 40 people being put on teams. Like and that's, which isn't hoping for much. Yeah, which is which is like that's a sli- that's really like a slim margin of like chance. Yeah. So I and it w- did really like hurt me a lot to be like I'm not one of the top women at UCB and it it felt like so like divided. Um. So I was like, if you do this, you have to win it. You just have to win it. And then the first episode, Beth Newell gets eliminated. Right. And I burst into tears because <laughs> it just felt like so much pressure. I was like, not only was she my friend and I felt sad for her, but I was just like, oh no. (laughs) Was the rest of it a good experience? It was good because it made me brave, but I like, I swear I maybe got an ulcer during it. Like I was so anxious because we would have like these late night rehearsals on Tuesday and then our show would be like, like, you know, it's a high pressure situation to improvise under. And then they would make you like line up and they would tag one of you out. Which was sad. Like, it was sad because they were your teammate now. So, if, like, every week what you've lost a teammate, it was both sad. And then also, you know, you would also get negative feedback, but know that you're safe for that week. 
Then on Friday, the episode would be uploaded to iTunes and you got to hear all the stuff they didn't say to your face. <laughs> so you'd hear the notes that were too harsh to say to your face. Oh, that is terrible. And then you could dwell on that all weekend until Tuesday when you got to go rehearse again. And I just remember like one Tuesday, at, like, cause they would do interviews, like do like your on camera interviews after rehearsal. And, um, and John Flynn was the producer and creator of it. And, uh, he like stopped the camera. Cause I think he like, I just looked haggard, stressed out and maybe like I was going to cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so much crying with improv back then. Uh, I literally never cry about it now. <laughs> uh, but he stopped the camera to be like, hey, you're doing okay. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was just, <laughs> I was a mess. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey Marks, who's on a mess hall team now, he was the camera operator. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of cool people involved in that project. <laughs> and to me, when I was watching, like I was watching it as I was getting to know what improv was and like doing my first like training groups and growing to love improv and so I was obsessed with that show, and it felt to me like a show on TV that I would just like. What like I couldn't really tell the difference between like w- how high profile Project Improviser was versus like Project <laughs> Runway. So like I think when I first met you, I was like so starstruck uh, as the winner of Project Improviser. That's uh, very cool to hear. I never uh, felt any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I th- well, you can ask. Like Madeline, like that I would, I would like genuinely be bubbling like behind. That's like, <laughs> that. Do I you love, know who this is? <laughs> that's really funny. I never felt I would, that at all. Because uh, I, I really was like I was a crazy project improviser person who would like you know who was the uh, real weirdo on the show? Nick Zimmerman. Nick Zimmerman. Like I found Nick Zimmerman in a line once and like came up to him and like almost asked him for his autograph. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> he would have been the funniest person to ask for his autograph because he is so nervous and shy. Yeah. Uh, that would have been, I would have loved to watch him deal with that. <laughs> I'm sure that kind of stuff has happened to him. Cause he was like, he didn't win because he's not, um, like, I think I maybe won because I was more like an every man. Like I could do, all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, but Nick was so bizarre and strange and special. Uh, but he was a hard person for them to be like, he's doing it right. They're like, he's not always doing it right, but he's doing something else that's very special and cool. But that's a hard thing to be like, and this is who we want to like <laughs> represent what we're teaching here at UCB. Not that yeah. that's what it was, but I think there was a, you know, that pressure from the coaches to, or the, uh, the, the judges to be like, yeah, but he's still like, in a tough spot, like, does he do what we need improvisers to right. do? He kind of should be, like, the secret weapon weirdo on a team. Yes. Like, they used to do that in New York. I don't know if they do it out here as much, but, like, where they would put the, what they called the wild card mm-hmm. uh, on a team. Uh, and it was usually someone who, if you didn't know better, would say, that person's the crazy person on that team. But they were usually also so special uh, and unique that they just brought something different. Sometimes they were someone to deal with for the team, but the philosophy was, like, that makes everyone stronger. Uh, But I don't think, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think we've had any wild, I haven't been on a team with a wild card. So you officially got on a Herald team when you won that show? Like, they It was, like, a month or two later, and I think they had had, I don't, I I guess they had, like, they just had, like, a little bit of a shakeup where they took people off teams and maybe broke up a couple and reformed. And, uh, cause I don't think it was auditions. Uh, it wasn't auditions, but I, so they made teams and I didn't hear. 
Like, I was like, oh, I guess I didn't get on a team. And then, like... Even though I was... Yeah, and I was like, I wanted uh, all my other... All the other people on got on teams, and I didn't. Uh, And then, like, a day later, Anthony called. He was like, I couldn't... I had the wrong phone number. I've been trying to reach you. (laughs) That's terrible. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I was like, man, it really doesn't matter. Girls are always going to get the ship. But, (laughs) But then I was like, okay, good. And I got on a team. It was called Beverly Hills with Adam Pally, Susanna Beckett... Um, Nate Lang, Greg DeSantis, who was also on Project Improviser, Cody Melton, who was on Project Improviser, Tim Curcio, and Eddie Dunn. Can't forget Eddie Dunn. No. Uh, and I was yeah. on other teams with Eddie Dunn, too, and he's amazing. Uh, and later, Adam eventually had to leave the team, and then Jim Santangeli took his place. But so, like, there were, that was a rock, there were yeah. like rock stars on that team. team. But we didn't work. Like, it, it was... <laughs> We were, I was on it for a year and a half, but like, we just quite didn't get it, but it was like a really fun experience. Uh, it was good. It was a good experience to be on my first Herald team with so many brave, I always talk about bravery and, but like to be with people who like Adam was just trying everything. He was like making big moves and being impressive, which is, I don't know, like, I feel like his attitude is why. He is where he is today and such like a good example of being like, in, like comedy is comedy and it's not about, uh, it's not an art form which you should be polite and so worried that you're doing it wrong. You should be going after your ideas and believing in them, even if they're wrong. Yeah. That's might be, I maybe took that on too much, but I feel like that's sort of like, well, I was like, that's what I took away from that team. Be like, be brave and just go after it. Support everything and make it cool. Very cool. Um, so you were born in Louisiana originally? Yeah, uh, well, always. <laughs> oh, I, I was always born. But then, but then at what point was your birth certificate changed? <laughs> no. Uh, I was no longer Louisiana. I was born at the Lady of the Lake in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. A uh, third, third of three. Some the baby. The, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, to parents who had thick Louisiana accents? I guess maybe. I, I don't think, like, like, I don't have that much of an accent, but I must sound like them a little bit. But I don't think their accents are crazy thick until I hear them somewhere else. And then I'm like, oh, I hear it now. But What might your mom sound like? She doesn't, I don't think she has a thick accent. She always says that she pronounces things wrong or incorrectly. Like, she was like, I can't say that word Frappuccino. And my niece makes fun of her. And I'm like, but you're saying it. She's like, no, I say it wrong. I say Frappuccino wrong. I'm like, no, but you're sa-. I don't know. She's like, she thinks that, I think that because I moved off, they think that, like, I notice all these things about them. And I don't really. Yeah. I'm like, no, I think we're pretty, like, smart people from, like, a really small town where people, not, weren't, not that people were dumb, but, like, they're, like it's not, like, a very edgy, like, like a lot of people don't go to college uh, at that in that generation. Like my mom and dad didn't go to college; they went and then quit. Uh, but like that was pretty common that people would like maybe try for you know in the seventies and late sixties, go for a year, try just go get a job at a plant. <laughs> yeah, had their parents been in Louisiana? Like, yeah, was it a long um, family history. Yeah, I don't know on my mom's side how far it goes back, but I mean we've been in the my I went to the same school that three of my grandparents went to. Oh, wow. So only my dad's father, he was from Baton Rouge. But, you know, he wasn't from Baton Rouge. He was from uh, Point Capi Parish. So 
he was from another like more French because he's uh, Jaro is they're French, so he was you know from a more French uh, area. But yeah, like we're I grew up where they all were from, so. And your parents worked in plants? My dad, not, I think once I was born, he was not working there any longer. But when my parents got married, my dad was working at Ethel, which was a refinery. Uh, An oil refinery? Yeah, I think, yeah. And he was like, I think sometimes, maybe when he was younger, maybe worked offshore. I don't know. Uh, But once I came around, uh, I think dad had already quit that job or maybe been laid off because Ethel's no longer around. So like... I think it might have been laid off and then got into, like, construction. So my dad had a company called Daryl Jarrow Builders. And then I remember uh, – and I remember specifically – this is funny because it relates because I play basketball now as a grown-up. Mm-hmm. But I remember I was on, like, a li- like a little rec – like uh, or, like, the sports association team. Uh, and we were on a – the team had always been Daryl Jarrow Builders. And then one year it became Jarrow Builders because my dad changed the name of this company because my mom – was like so much a part of it that he was like, well, it's not me, it's us now. Oh, that's so, nice. So, uh, and I was like, I know I had a terrible haircut that maybe was a, a mullet. So it was probably like first or second grade when that happened. I just remember the uniforms so specifically light blue, white letters, Jarrow Builders, <laughs> um, terrible haircut. Uh, but yeah, so, um, so like, yeah, when I was in second grade, they, but she had been working with him since I was born because I remember like from being young going to check job sites and having roofers come to the house to pick up checks and uh, stuff. How, how'd your parents meet? Um, my parents met at my, she's not really my aunt, but she's like my dad's, I think my dad's first or second cousin, Paulette. My mom was friends with Paulette and I think Paulette had, had a wedding. My mom would have been in high school and she met my dad at the wedding and thought he was very cute. They did not start dating. He was engaged like two or three times before they start before he met my mom. Without ever getting married? Or, or Yeah, yeah. I think that was like his, uh, I think it was his trick to be like, let's, well, yeah, let's get married. I think that's how he got women to have sex with him, oh. was by proposing. So uh, <laughs> Very elaborate. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he was like maybe with someone else at the wedding, and but my mom thought it was cute. And then like a year later, maybe Paulette reintroduced them. And uh, then they started dating. They, they didn't date very long before they got married, but she definitely was like, you go take that ring back and go buy me my own <laughs> ring. Because he was using the same ring on these women. Do you think he did his his trick on your mom, but then just fell in love? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I think he, he always says he really liked her hands. Uh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. Like, Because the other women, like we sort of would know them like because they were like from our area. Okay. So, so like I know one of the other women. Oh, really? Uh, not very well, but, like, her child went to high school with my sister, so. Weird. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I like to think that they just got along. My mom was cool. <laughs> and she wanted to get married because she wanted to drop out of college, and her dad had a rule that you either go to college, get a job, or get married. And she didn't want to get a job, so she got married. <laughs> yeah, what's she like in general? I always say that it's... It's, uh, I only knew my parents, like, after years of them being married, so I think they sort of started, I don't know what they were, I have no idea what they were like when they were younger, because they might have been more different, but they seem very similar, person- like, outgoing, like, personality-wise, so I'm just, 
whenever people are like, what are your parents like? I'm like, I don't like me. Like, we're, <laughs> the fruit does not fall far. My mom is, uh, she's very opinionated, uh, you know, says funny things, like, just has, like, a, you know, a fun way of looking at stuff sometimes. And so, like, yeah, we're all, so, yeah, we're pretty, and my dad is very, like, outgoing. People are always like, oh, he's so charming and fun. I'm like, yeah, that's his outside personality he's a little more i mean he's old now so he's like a little more like he's not grumpy though he's but he does like um he likes to watch fox news so when i go home like he loves like engaging it like I'm like we're just not gonna there's no, this isn't gonna be a good conversation yeah uh, but, is he trying to push your buttons but he's also like we he likes to like kind of engage and debate and we've been like that i remember like for the bush carry election i was voting carry and he was like, it was the first election I was able to vote. And we, we woke up at like 5 a.m. to go have breakfast and go stand in line for the polling center. And, but we were like, like, but we have always been like different ideologies. But like, I've been, I was always a daddy's girl. Oh, really? So, yeah. So like, yeah, like, but we always had that like fondness for each other, even though I, as I got older, my ideals, my ideology went away from his. He's always been Republican, which is so strange. Because I come from a Democratic family that also, like, was sort of in politics. Uh, but I don't think they're Democratic now. But, uh, you know, like, I think while they were, they always ran on a Democratic ticket. So, like, it was weird that my mom married a Republican. Uh, not that that really matters, but uh, he was just always on the other side of the fence growing up. Until we got to the last, like, few elections where I was like, oh, nope, everyone's Republican now. <laughs> like, uh, But, yeah, so we always sort of, we've always had... A good communication, but he can piss me off. And you, you said your family is in politics or like into politics. They have you uh, have members of your family actually run for office. Uh, well, so in Louisiana, we don't have counties; we have parishes. And growing up, my grandfather was always the sheriff, which is an elected official. They collect taxes. They like are more than just like running the the deputies and police force. They they so they're over. He was sort of, like, in charge of all the criminal stuff in the area, but also, like, did tax collections and, like, anything that had to do with, like, that sort of thing. Like, he, you know, would, like, if someone weren't paying taxes, he could go take their stuff and then he would have, like, a sheriff sale and, like, you know, to get money for it. So, that was, like, sort of, like, I think maybe all sheriffs do that. I have no idea. Uh, But that was, like, his role. Uh, And he was the sheriff until I was in high school. And then my uncle became sheriff. My uncle won the next election. And and that feels like just being a very public figure. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, we've had some uh, a few deaths in the family in the past six years. And they're, like, state—we have state funerals. What does that mean? We're, like, whether guards and, like, you know, like, like I think at my grandfather's maybe 2,000 oh people came. Oh, my gosh. Came. Like, it, it's like a—yeah. So, like, we're—especially for, like, small-town— uh, like my grandfather was, yeah, he was a lifelong politician. Uh, and like, because like a lot of the places, like in the parish where we are, there's not, not every place has a mayor because they're, they're too small. They're not incorporated. So they would be like, like I grew up in a village, which wasn't incorporated. We had no uh, uh, political figures there. So like everything would go to him. So like he was also in charge of all the, like, you know, of making sure that, like, those places were still taken care of as a municipality and stuff. So it was, like, sort of, it's, like, a complicated rule because, like, it's, like, yeah, he's in charge of all the deputies and all the crime and stuff, 
But also, like, he sort of has to help out with everything else, too, because he's the only one person that connects all these people besides the parish president. Uh, so, yeah, it's just, like, an interesting thing. And, like, so yeah. then he was, he did that for, uh, I wish I could remember the years. I can't. I think he, like, was not in office for 44 years, but he started working, uh, like, from from him becoming a deputy to him retiring. It was 44 years of like service. Like, half a century. Yeah. So, like, my family, wow. the Graves people, that's my mom's uh, maiden name, they were sort of, I guess, uh, sort of, it, you know, not in charge, but, like, they had been they had been in office, you know, for the better half of the 20th century. How did that impact you as, like, a kid? Oh, man. If you ever got pulled over, you you say who you were. Like, <laughs> I didn't have the Graves last name because I'm a Jaro. But like every like everybody knew, I could go to other parishes and be like, I'm Odom Graves' granddaughter and get out of trouble. Whoa! Yeah, I mean, like diplomatic immunity. Yeah, because he was very well liked. Like I think at one point he was asked to run for governor. Like they, the Democratic ticket was like, you'd be a great person. He just didn't want to. I, he had too many skeletons. He didn't <laughs> want them digging through, which was smart. Um, um. But yeah, so they were, it was like, yeah, we were like, I, cause there's not a lot of families that were in it as long as we were. And we were almost not quite a dynasty. Maybe if my little cousin Whitney want, runs one day, we'll be a dynasty, but, um, we were pretty close. Uh, I have an instinct to ask about these skeletons, but do we want to shy oh, away from well, it? Well, I mean, it's it just, uh, you know, he... He, I don't, I don't know what they all are. And I don't know. Most of the people who care are dead. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, uh, I think he might've been a little bit of a philanderer. Okay. <laughs> I definitely heard stories about my, my grandmother getting into a fist fight with one of the ladies at the courthouse. <laughs> uh, like, cause my, cause my whole family worked there too. So, so while my uncle, while my grandfather was sheriff, my uncle was a deputy. Uh, my grandmother worked at the register of voters office which was like right there like it was all on the same like kind of campus because it was all by the courthouse uh and then my aunt's husband was a, a detective um and yeah i worked there for one summer i worked uh when my uncle was sheriff i worked as a deputy because like i don't think that counts as nepotism because i'm not like his like I'm his niece and not like, okay. but it was like, it was like, that was one thing. Like there was <laughs> yeah. some nepotism going on. Uh, uh, he didn't hire, like my grandfather did not hire my uncle, but the, the sheriff before him did. So, um, but yeah, there was a little bit of like, Oh, like that way he would have gotten in trouble. And he also was like almost indicted once. Uh, and I, I don't, I forget what the charges were. It was something like, I can't remember what they were. I, it was probably easy to Google them, but my, like, the like the grant like the state grand jury i don't know what this is called i was pretty young i barely understood it but like they were trying to indict my uncle and grandfather on some kind of like fraudulent charges my uncle it varied because he was very like he was a straight shooter never did anything wrong so he was very quickly cleared and it was a long process for my grandfather though uh and i remember the day that he like dropped all the charges uh, we like went to a big champagne brunch. Like we went, to, we took like limos to New Orleans with his lawyers, and like we were still good friends with that lawyer, Eric Pittman, very nice guy. But like my grandfather hung on the wall the letter that like said that he was cleared of all these charges and without 
with with future like without future precedent like you know like he could never be brought up again and he was very very proud uh of that like it hung in his hallway uh i feel like i I, when he died i was like can we keep that because i love that he was so proud of his charges being dropped yeah Um, (laughs) he sounds like such a fun character oh yeah at his retirement party they played i did it my way yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's just how he was. <laughs> like, I did it my... Because he did weird stuff. Like, I could, you could talk about him for hours and hours. Uh, he was... Oh, maybe we'll do, like, a, yeah. an accessory podcast. Yeah, about I, him. which is really interesting that I am talking so much about him, though, because, like, like my parents are re- really cool, and they're very similar to me, but, like, he was, he was in charge of our family. I don't think a lot of people grow up in patriarchs like I did, especially being like not Italian or like, you know, one yeah. of those, like, sounds like it has a king. Yeah. Like he, we lived on his land behind him. And when my dad said, when, when he got married to my mom, my grandfather took him aside and said, you're mine now. <laughs> not like I own you, but like now everything that you do is part of me. So you are part of my, you know, family, like you are mine. I'm taking you in and everything that you do. Uh, which is intimidating, but also sort of like, that's how he was. Like you were his, he was taking care of you. And I think that's why he was such a great person in the area because like he took care of his people. He felt like they were all his and he was taking care of them. As a a little girl, were you pretty similar to what you're like today? Mm -hmm. I've had the same personality since I was born. I don't like, there was never a moment that I shift maybe the only thing is that maybe I've gone a little easier on myself as I get older because I think I said when I came in like there are certain parts of my personality that I'm like god I just wish I could pull back on that like being sort of like I'm gonna tell you what I, I'm telling you all the thoughts that I'm thinking now or like how you should do this thing better and I've sort of always been like that uh but also sort of just like a little I'm not a wild person but there is a side of me that even to myself is unpredictable. Like there's just something in me that I'm like, I don't know what I'm capable of. (laughs) Not like in a bad way, but just like at any moment I could possibly do anything. Um, How did that come out as a kid? Well, like this is a a, a fun story that my dad likes to tell when I was like four years old, maybe. And I have a vague recollection of this. Like I can picture where we were when I said it. I don't really remember. He tells a story. Uh, We were, He asked me what I wanted to do when I grow up. And I said, I'm going to dance naked on TV. (laughs) He said, baby, you would do that knowing your daddy's at home watching you. And I was like, you'll be dead by then. Uh, And just sort of like that dude of like, don't worry about it. Like, I know what's going. Like, I've just always been like this. You were four. Yeah, I was four. (laughs) (laughs) Or he has another story of me being like two years old. And he like, let me take a bath by myself. Which is very dangerous. Two-year-olds can drown. Um, I made a big mess. Like, I'd been jumping and splashing, and, like, there was just water everywhere. And he, like, came in, and he scolded me. And he was like, you need to clean this all up right now. And he said he had never done that. He'd never scolded me before. So he, like, he hid around the corner of the bathroom just to see what was going to happen. And, like, I got a towel. And as a two-year-old said can't believe he's making me clean this shit up. I'm just a little baby. And I was like cursing up a storm that he like, the, the audacity of him, like, didn't he know I was only two years old? I should not yet be held responsible. Like I was mad. Cause like, I was like, this is not on me. I'm a, ch- I'm a baby. Yeah. You should, but, 
<laughs> cursing like that. Yeah. But having such an awareness. A grown woman. <laughs> yeah, having such an awareness of a situation. And I just, I guess I've always been like that. Of like, I have like a overarching awareness of things and like such a sense of right and wrong and such a, like an attitude. Like I just always have had a little bit of a tune. And known as pretty funny, like as a kid. Yeah, I think I was pretty funny very young. I have like a lot of funny people in my family. Like my uncle's really funny. My mom is like really funny. My dad's, my dad tells a lunch, a bunch of good uh, Boudreaux jokes, which are like Cajun jokes. Uh, and my brother and sister, yeah, everyone's funny. We have all, we have like, um, we have a fun time. Like, although we can kind of bicker a bit, but like the family holidays are funny. Like they're always fun. Like the immediate family, even my dad's side, his, uh, we don't, we're not close with all of his, uh, siblings, but like his brother's kids, Ryan and Michael, who are our age, they're very funny too. Uh, so I think we just had like, and I think the Louisiana's personality is sort of like a fun, it's a lot of drinkers, a lot of partiers, a lot of people who like to poke fun at one another. And that's sort of just the culture. It's what I think of the culture of Louisiana and like having like, I remember even like in church, like we had priests that would like part of their sermon was telling jokes. Like that was part of like their analogies were always like a fun, like there was always a, at least one or two laugh lines in, in church on Sunday. So I think, like, culturally, it's just, like, people are like to have a good time. Yeah. Did you grow up knowing you wanted to do this? I think I always wanted to be, like, an actor, but I thought maybe, like, more serious. I really, I was telling someone recently, I was like, as a child, I was convinced I would grow up and be very elegant and beautiful and, like, an ingenue, and it just never happened. <laughs> like, I, I, like, was always a chubby kid. I thought, I was like, surely I will, like, grow really tall, because I have a very tall family and I'm the shortest one. And I was like, I'm going to have a growth spurt and really come into this. <laughs> and I just never became, like, I, ne- I thought I was going to be Grace Kelly when I grew up, and I just never... It never happened. And people, when I was a kid, would call me Rosie, like Rosie O'Donnell, because I sort of looked like her. I had, like, that haircut and stuff. And I was like, no, I don't <laughs> want to. But that's, it really is just what I, not that I like her exactly, but, like, I did sort of, like, grow into that thing that I was always being like, no, no, I'm going to be more like Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. But it just never happened. So, and uh, I started taking improv classes when I was 14, so. 14? Yeah. Louisiana improv classes? I'll give her a shout out. Diana Toops uh, ran uh, the drama room, is what she called it. Uh, she ran it out of her living room, and she was only like two miles from my house, or maybe a little further, but not much. Uh, and one day I saw a billboard that said acting classes in Livingston Parish, and I was like, oh, that's very close. So I like, called and inquired about how much the costs were and then told my mom my mom was like well if you already signed up sure let's go so <laughs> i started taking classes uh out of her living room at 14 what had you done plays before that or that was like i'd done young? when i was 12 i did baton rouge little theater one summer uh of like this workshop where like you just do monologues and stuff uh or like small scenes so i did like a monologue and a scene and i remember my scene partner forgot all of her lines and it was i was furious I was furious. Uh, and she was so casual about how she forgot her line. She's like, I don't know, on stage. So I was having to deal with it. And I was just, like, very upset when I walked off stage, which is so funny that, like... Uh, and then, like, the next summer, I think I did uh, a class at LSU with, like, more monologues and stuff. It was more serious, and I really liked that. I liked the more serious stuff. But uh, then the next year is when I 
started doing improv. But it, it was sort of like a natural thing to, like, it felt natural. We were just doing spolen exercises. So, viola spolen. Uh, so, like, kind of like doing, like, they were kind of like acting stuff. So, it, we would put on plays, but, like, she started, like, a short form group out of it. So, by the time I was a senior in high school, Sometimes I would be checked out of school early to go perform for the Lions Club Whoa. and like make a little money. And you already really good. Uh, by the time I was a senior, I was really good. I because I took a lot of class. Like yeah. I, at, when I was fourteen and started, I like liked it. I don't think I was good yet, but at the end of that year, my teacher Dinah uh, was like, "You remind me a lot of myself, and if you want to take more classes, I'll just charge you a flat rate for." So I was I started going. I took my normal high school level. I took the advanced class with some adults. And then I took the performing group. And then I even did improv with second graders. She had like an elementary and I would sit in with them sometimes. And just to learn, to be like, oh, I can do it with like, so I was performing with like 10 year olds and then like 50 and 60 year olds. Cause there were some older people, uh, and this was just, like, my sophomore year of high school. You've just, just been doing improv for so long. I know. I should be much better at it. Uh, <laughs> no, you're very good. <laughs> well, I, I think I, like, uh, like, I feel comfortable, like, doing it. But, like, yeah, I'm not, like, uh, I'm not, like, I'm not, like, uh, oh, so smart moves. I'm just, like, I'm, a, I'm always going to be okay on stage. That's because mm-hmm. I've been doing it for... Jesus Christ, almost 20 years. <laughs> this year will be... Since the Clinton administration. Uh, literally this year, it will be 19 years. Uh, uh, so yeah, I did short form all in high school. But it was really fun. And it and it was one of those things where... Uh, it was nice to like meet other kids who were like sort of the weirdo kids. Because uh, I was popular in high school. And, and I wasn't like, like popular, like pretty popular. But I was just like, oh... People always liked me. I was always the class president, and I was always, like, hanging out with, like, cool people. So it was nice to also get to hang out with, like, the weirdos. And then, like, at my school, it made me, like, more attracted to weirdos, too. So, like, I, it made me have a diverse group of friends and not be as much of a bully as I possibly could have been. <laughs> in addition to being popular, were you pretty happy in high school? No, I hated it. <laughs> hated every fucking moment of high school. Couldn't wait to, I really wanted to go to NYU, but I didn't have the, I, I didn't have the grades to get in, but even if I could have, like, I, I couldn't have afforded to go. Like, we, I didn't come from, like, we don't have a lot of money. Like, we were middle class and fine, but, uh, and I ended up getting, like, a full paid scholarship in state because they had a program that they had just started that year where basically you only had to make, like, a 20 on your ACT, which is not very impressive, uh, and had like a, a, a 3.0 GPA also not very impressive, but like if you had that, you could get a full paid scholarship. Basically they're like, if you seem like you will study at all, we will pay for you to go to school in state. So I had that and I went to LSU for one semester and then transferred to Southeastern because I was doing improv there. I was at one university that didn't have improv and most of their, the, their plays were being cast by grad, like grad, grad students were getting most of the parts. And as a freshman, I was like, I don't think, I don't see that I'll be successful here. And then I had a friend that I knew through doing improv in high school that was doing improv at Southeastern Louisiana University, which was in Hammond about like an hour away. And he was like, come, come play with us one day. Like he's like, come audition or something. And so I did. And immediately everyone 
was like, yes, be, it was like me and a bunch of guys. And so I started my like first semester of college. I was like, I lived on the dorm in the dorms at LSU. And then every Tuesday night would drive to Hammond and rehearse. And then Wednesday night would do shows there. And I remember like on fall break, hanging out, like our fault, we had a different break than they did. So we were on fall break at LSU and then I was, my friends were like, well, come hang out with us on campus. So I went to their university, which is hanging out on campus and people recognized me from the improv show. And so I was like, this is better. And so, I, <laughs> yeah. so at the end of the semester, I transferred and did not tell my parents. <laughs> and I was only 17. Like I was 17 in college. So I didn't tell oh, my Yeah. Cause the age thing kept up with you. Yeah. I was like, I was too young. So I was 17. And then I remember, uh, going into the spring semester, like that January, my parents were like, we got to move your stuff back into the dorm. And I was like, actually, I don't go to school there anymore. I don't remember if they were upset. They, I think they just were like annoyed that I didn't <laughs> tell them. Yeah. They wanted me to go to Southeastern originally because they were like, my brother and sister both went there and they're like, it's a smaller university. You probably have a better chance. They were right. I just didn't want to do what they said. Yeah. It's, Bucking it's, that authority. It's funny that you just like omitted that giant life change. What? The, oh, that I was that you, in a different college. I was so sneaky. I like, I don't think I learned to talk to my parents till I was 20. Like, like in that way. What else were you doing sneaking around? Just, I just wouldn't tell them stuff. I just, like, I didn't tell my mother when I got my period. Like, I just didn't tell them things. Uh, uh, I just was, like, I didn't tell them I was doing improv at this other university. Uh, I just wouldn't, because I knew she wouldn't like me driving so much at mm. night. Because I was 17, so yeah. she just wouldn't, it was not smart. Um, and it was, like, an hour each way. Like, I was driving four hours at night. It's a, it's very young to be a traveling comic. Yeah. So, uh, but then it all like, it was great. Like once I transferred, um, the theater department there was smaller, but they had like, you know, they wanted, they put up stuff. So I like got to be in plays and then was doing improv and everyone, like people knew us. Like I was, my improv group was called Nameless. Uh, this is our catchphrase. Be like. Individually, we are nothing, but together, we are nameless. Uh, <laughs> that was absolutely, it would be like, I'm Marcy, I'm Aaron, I'm Bob. Individually, we're nothing, together, we're nameless. Uh, but it was like, they, they were doing cool stuff there. Like, we would do, like, intros to our show that were basically, like, like almost dance numbers. But they were like, they were like sketches that we were doing just non, we were doing nonverbal dance dances because the guy connor mcgibbony his mom connor was connor started the group and his mom was the dance teacher and she did a lot of like modern dance and a lot of the guys in the group were in modern dance so we would do like like um and actually this guy that i know out here who who was at lsu uh michael gallagher would like do like these really cool musical edits and stuff like he would like take stuff from movies and then music and we would like do almost like a ballet like uh, you know an interpretive dance that was funny like it would always like be like a funny thing like I remember once we did like this matrix thing it was really cool we were all dressed in black and two of the guys were just in suits and we were like picking them up and moving them around and like they were doing the fight sequence and like we would do weird stuff like that to be like that's how we start our improv show that sounds really it was great and like slightly better organized than some like comedy stuff that happens today yeah, yeah. it was really cool because we were like just we were allowing ourselves to be like more 
artsy fartsy. Like we were letting that be part of it. Not just like, and because like improv wasn't what it is. Like now everyone knows what it is. Back then it was like sort of new, uh, like whose line was on TV, but it was like just sort of gaining its own popularity. Like, uh, and like, yeah, that's why every university didn't have, that's why I left LSU, which they got it the next year, but it was still cool to be like, I could be on the ground floor doing this with like these, I think it was like 11 guys. I was like, this is really cool. Uh, and I got to say a lot of like what I wanted to do. Cause at that, I was feeling at that point that I didn't want to do games. I didn't want to play like interrogation or party quirks. Like I was fine to do that, but I really wanted to just do scenes. Because I had this idea that I was ready to do long form, but no one knew what it was. But I'd heard about it. And you had, like, a natural pull towards it. Well, I'd heard of, like, my teacher in high... Like, the, the teacher that I went to uh, in high school told me about a thing called the Herald. I didn't know what it was. I had no idea what it was, but I knew it was something that McNapier uh, had told... Like, she met McNapier at a, at a workshop once, and she was like, and they do a Herald, and I had no idea what it was. I, I, as far as I knew, it just was a thing that took an hour. Yeah. And I was like, that's what I want to do. Uh, so I was like, let's just do scenes. I just want to do plain scenes with no gimmicks. I just want to find the funny in the scene. So I was like feeling that at like 18. I was like, I just want to work on that stuff. At 18, had you ever heard the term game before? No. Uh, so, but the, that's not so far from finding the funny. Finding the funny is kind of like a cousin to that, right? Yeah. I, I think that I, um, could do that pretty naturally, but I still was relying a little bit on just being able to turn a phrase yeah, and be clever. Um, and spontaneous. And, and spontaneous. Yeah. And like, just like, I, I, I really was like, I was always the only girl. And I think it's a lot of women felt intimidated because the boys were very funny. Uh, but I could always, I always, a lot of my humor came from just putting them in their place on stage a lot. Yeah. But again, this is a time when like UCB is still very new, even in New York. Yeah, because that was that was two thousand and one. Yeah. When I uh, I started college in two thousand, so like yeah, doing improv like I don't like what ninety nine is when they started. So like, but it hadn't spread like at all. So right, it was very niche. Yeah. So like, I got to New York in two thousand and I got to New York December twenty seventh, two thousand and four. So basically two thousand and five. Yeah. So, how was the rest of college? Um, did, did were you happy in college? No, I wanted. So I, to, I wanted. I think I wanted to go to New York from the age of twelve. And it doesn't sound like. Uh, so I asked a couple of times of like you were happy at these different ages, and it, and it sounds like you haven't been. Like there have been cool things going on in your life at those yeah. places, but like you had like an inner like. I've what, always would you call it like unhappiness or just like restlessness? Just restless. I've always felt very restless. And, like, I want it more. And I even, to this day, feel that way. But I've gotten much better about understanding that, like, that I no, this is what happiness is. Like, you feel happy right now. You want other stuff, but that doesn't mean you're not happy. But when I was younger, I really felt like, I don't have all these other... I, I wanted to fast forward. I just wanted to be 30. I always wanted to be 30. I was like, just get me there. I want to be there already. I want to be, like, that mature. I want to be, like... I want to look like that age. I want to be... That I just wanted to be there. I don't know what I thought was going to happen when I turned 30, but that was always where I wanted to be. Um, but even, uh, so I was very restless and I didn't think that I was going to do improv though. I still was like, I want to go to New York and be an actor. And I, for a while I was considering moving to Chicago 
to pursue improv. But I was just like, I don't know. I sort of want to be an actor more. And I don't know anyone in Chicago. And I've never been there. But I'd been to New York a few times because there was this guy um, who would come and do workshops with us. Like acting. Just like straight up like acting. Doing scenes and plays and stuff over the summer. And he'd been for... Like he'd come every summer since I was 16. And I was like, I think I want to go to New York. Because once I he let me come to his... Stay in his house with his wife and kids. And he like lived on Perry Street, New York. Which is beautiful and idyllic like you, you know you know that part of new york right uh like perry street like right off like seventh avenue like the heart like the village there mm-hmm. uh and i was like this is what life will be like because he was living in a fucking beautiful brownstone and like the best part of new york where like everything is like cute and adorable and like he would like send me to acting classes and i was like that's gonna be my life i'm gonna go to new york and do like weird scenes with like you know like very like Meisner-esque things with people because that's what I was did at 17 so I was like that that's what New York will be like and I was just like waiting to get there just like oh I cannot wait to be out of college and like college I was um partied a lot but I also was so sick of the boys because like boys in college are like gross you know like <laughs> they live gross they're just trying to sleep with everyone they you know uh, but not me. <laughs> they weren't trying to sleep with me enough. So um, so I was just, like, ready to be, like, I'm ready to be, like, out of this boy mentality of, like, being yeah. the only girl around. Even, though, like, we had a few other girls that hung out, too. But I was just, like, ready to move on and do something smarter and more sophisticated than what we were doing, which was, like, a lot of rap battles and stuff. And I was, like, I'm just over that. Like, I want to do – I think I've always just wanted something with a little more integrity and just – and then I would also, like, was not, I've never been a good student. Like, I would always miss three weeks of a class and then have to, like, write. I, like, my last semester of college, the last few weeks, I wrote 21 papers in a week. Because uh, I, so I hadn't done any work all semester, and they were like... Were they all late? Yeah, they were all late, and the people were like, well, we'd like you to graduate, so would you do this, please? And I was like, yeah, I can do it. 21 papers, that's like... What, what is that, like, 100 pages? I don't know. It was awful. I, <laughs> I remember my mom, like, during that time, she was like, if you put this much effort out, you could have you could have finished law school by now. If <laughs> what you're doing this week was how you treated all of your days. Uh, you demonstrated that you were capable of writing 20 yeah, papers that would, it, in a week. It would infuriate her that, like, one semester, because I lost my scholarship pretty early on in college, like, by my second year. Because, like, one semester I would have a 4.0 and then the next semester I'd have a 1.5. Like, I would just let it all... And it had nothing to do with, like, the subject matter. It was just whatever emotion I was feeling at the time. That I was just like, I don't want to be there. I can't... Like, I would go beyond campus and not go to class. Yeah. I would just be hanging out with all these other theater kids smoking behind the theater and stuff. Uh just being like an idiot and it did work out in the end it worked out it was fine uh and i never declared a major i graduated with general studies general studies i tell you i hate authority when people tell me i have to do something (laughs) i start figuring out any way to not do it um so i just took as i was like well i have 138 course hours you want to not graduate me because i'm I'm done no matter what i'm done and so the dean was like i guess we'll just do it (laughs) So is New York what you thought it was going to be? No. Why? No, not at all. I didn't know anyone there. Uh, And I lived in a women's boarding facility. Oh, that's weird. What is that like? 
If you were at the Bell Jar, you know how Sylvia Plath like lives in the Barbizon Hotel. Like it was like that, it, and I think it c came from that era of the '60s of like a place that young women or old. There, there was a lot of old women there too. It was the house I lived in was called the Brandon House, and it was run by the Volunteers of America. I have no fucking clue who they are, <laughs> but it was like all women lived there. Uh, no men were allowed above the lobby area. So it was like, you know, like it was on 85th between West End and Riverside, like, you know, the Upper West Side yeah, area. That's pretty nice. Yeah, it was a pretty nice area. Uh, and it was like, there were like 20 or so women around my age between the ages of 18 and and like 40. And then there were some really old, 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 like everyone else was a very old lady who clearly they did not want to leave New York, but their kids were not taking care of them. <sighs> and so they would live in this place that like, was like a dorm style. We had communal bathrooms and they offered us breakfast and dinner. Like if you woke up early enough, you could get breakfast and then they served dinner between like these hours at night. So like, I think that's what, like it was a nursing home for some people. And then for young people from different countries and from different parts of the United States, we kind of like were there. Like it was cheaper than getting, like you couldn't have, it was like a thousand dollars a month. Like I couldn't have afforded to live in Manhattan by myself yeah. at 22 for that. Uh, Plus breakfast and dinner. Breakfast and dinner. And I really did. We took advantage of it. So, like, we got to know each other. So, it was sort of, like, a nice thing. Um, and that's where... I, so, I started there. And then uh, I think I went to an improv... I went to see a show. I think before I moved to New York, I had known this guy. I had done, like, an improv workshop with um, some in like the cat skills in New York, I had like flown to New York to do this like week long intensive retreat thing. Um, and I met, uh, this guy, Michael Gelman, who was running second city at the time in New York. Like there were second city was trying to like start up a theater in New York. So I met Michael Gelman and this other guy, Jeffrey street, who was a playwright. And they like really like at that workshop were very, and Gary Austin was another person who he was, a, he's a, one of the founders of the groundlings. So I, like, at the age of 18, worked with these cool people. And so when I moved to New York, I, like, got in touch with a few of them. And they were very nice to me. Like, at the age of 18, they were like, you are great. You should do. Like, they, like, gave me the confidence to be like, you could pursue this, continue on, uh, which was great because I was one of the youngest. I was, like, it was, like, a bunch of 30 and 40-year-old actors who were, like, looking for something. So, like, yeah. it was just, like, a cool thing. So, like, well, I called Michael Gelman when I got to New York. And he's like, man, we're about to close up shop. It's it's not happening. He's like, it's just, <laughs> he's like, we're not really doing much. Go to UCB. He's like, go there. So I went to a show, and then like after the show, I remember being outside the theater, just kind of like waiting around for I don't know what. I knew no one. I was just like standing outside the theater, and then uh, this girl Emily Tarver, who I'm sure if anyone knows New York people, like people would know her. Um, she was like, hey, and she had a southern accent. She was like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, and I was, she was like, you looking for someone? And I was like, no, I just came here. It's the first time I've been. And she was like, come to McManus. So like that first show, I went to McManus and then met so many people who I would be friends with in the future. Yeah, who's there? Uh, I, I feel like there were a lot of like the Reuben Williams people there, but when they were on Dillinger, I think that's like of that era. So I think they were there. I didn't. I just kind of like saw them. It was like a whirlwind of people uh, being around and or like, Lawrence was like the bartender at McManus who would always, he's always the bartender. I met a lot of those people who were just be like foundations of that culture out there. 
And then I was like, I'm going to do this. I remember that first night being like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get on a Herald team. And someone being like, you don't know what you're talking about. It's not that easy. And I was like, don't care. I'm going to do it. And then a year later I was. So. <laughs> oh, that's fast. That's I think a- it was like a year and a half later that I was. Cause I moved there in December. Then I got on the next September. You and had fun going up through the classes. Oh, I loved it. I immediately loved it so much. Tara Copeland was my one Oh one. And she was a doting teacher for all of us. And, like, she did this thing where she would go out with us after the... She did the thing that was really smart. I don't know if it could work the same in L.A. because we don't have the same, like, walkable bars. There's not as many. But, like, after our class, she was like, let's all go get drinks. And so she started the habit of being like, you guys hang out. Like, she was like, this is what you do. You become Mm -hmm. friends. And so, like, like, every class we would do that. Like, not one class went by that we didn't go out and grab fries and a beer after... So, uh, so that was like the culture is like, these are all my friends. Whereas I think sometimes it can just be like, maybe you'll hang out if you're really, really into it. But everyone was just kind of like, we are going to be into this. And, um, by like 201, like that's when I met John Milheiser. That's when I met Sarah Chase, who was on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, who was my roommate when I lived in LA. Like all these people, like Kristen Rosansky, like we were all together at a early time, and it's been like 10 years now that like we still know each other not everyone but like i still know a lot of those people and it's really cool to think about even though that i'm not in the same side of the country that like we still know each other yeah and a lot of them have come out yeah or even like just like that they're by coastal or like doing great stuff um once you got on a herald team how long or like were you still feeling restless or was it like a I mean, period wanted, of like, this is just great? It was very exciting and great. I think that's, I think being a, I think really maybe my whole life, I don't, this, not to be like too serendipitous, but like, I think like this is what I, I, all the things that I say about my personality that I either like or hate that like, that I'm spontaneous to a point where it's a, a detriment or like that I've always been opinionated or that like, you know, I, I just had a strong, pre- like that's all stuff that like has made improv work for me like it's all been beneficial um and so I think this is just where my home is like I knew improv is the first thing I that I didn't quit I've quit everything in life every job I've had everything I've done like I've just not liked it but I love doing this and I've never quit I mean I like retired myself from hair night but like I would I will never not do improv so I think I just like finally found a place that like I don't I'm not always happy with every circumstance but like this always felt like it was right for me and eventually like I got sick of New York and moved obviously mm-hmm. with I, I didn't move here because I got a job I moved here because I was like I cannot take New York I'm like the restlessness that's how it manifested uh I may for the rest of my life be restless <laughs> uh I've gotten a little better dealing with it but like yeah this is like this is the thing I was meant to do even if it's a hobby like so, you know, they don't pay you a lot to do. <laughs> <laughs> How much do they pay you? I get a thousand dollar check once every two months. Uh, no, uh, nothing. Uh, <laughs> nothing. Oh. Uh, I mean, I've done Torco, so I got a little bit of payment for doing that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I'll do it for, I'll do it. I, I'll be one of those old people doing improv, <laughs> you know, that it's embarrassing that they're doing it. What wasn't great about New York life? It was great for a while. I was there for 2004. Five through two thousand. So I was there. I was there for almost six years. Uh, and really, the the 
the winters got to me. They really did. And I, if you don't believe in global warming, go, go live somewhere where you have such extreme things. Uh, it just got bad. Like we had a few snow apocalypses and <laughs> I was baby. I used to work in marketing. I, I was like a project manager, uh, doing websites and like had a lot of clients like, uh, Purdue farms is one of my clients, uh, met, all those folks, Jim Perdue and I had dinner once. Uh, um, and then I also had some like pharmaceutical companies that I were my clients, but I quit because I was like, let me, if I'm in this career where I'm making so much money, it'll be hard to start sacrificing. So I was like, let me, I was like, I, I had this idea that like, and I think somewhere there's a dumb blog post about it that I was wanted to, commit to being an artist and part of that was that I can't have this comfort level that when I know I'm getting paid like a pretty good salary that I can't say no to work because they pay my salary and yes to improv things or acting things so I I quit my job and started babysitting so but that's a hard life I had saved up a, a good amount of money to have a buffer but I didn't like it book. I thought like, I thought if I'm doing this, I'm about to book something. And I didn't. Um, but you were giving yourself the opportunity to myself, possibly book stuff. I was giving myself the opportunity and it was working out. Like I was, you know, I was babysitting a lot, but, um, but I was auditioning it more than I ever had, which was cool. And, um, but then like winter came and like there was already that December slump where people are not maybe using you as much cause they're traveling. And then we had like, two huge snowstorms back to back so I didn't work at all and not only did I not work babysit I wasn't coaching because people were like just people got stranded and like they like that that like snowpocalypse the first one that happened in like 2010 I think like literally like this city was shut down for (laughs) so long so I was like damn this is really like it's physically I can't I can't survive here like I could barely pay rent and like Literally, like, I was like, we don't have food in the house and I can't get it because stores are closed. Like, I was like, this is bullshit. Oh, you literally can't survive here. I was like, this is hard. <laughs> like, this is like, we're actually like, this is like, you can't just order food. There's, there were buses abandoned in the streets. Like, uh, like I was like, we, this is, uh, what do we do? I can't do this. And so like, I was like, I'm going to move. And then another year went by. And then we had more snowstorms. And I was like, for real, though, I'm going to move. And so I knew it in my heart that I was, like, ready to leave. And I was just sort of feeling, like, a little stressed by the city. And I was, like, on a Herald team at New York that was really great, bad man, with awesome people. And I was doing tour co. And then that was cool. But it wasn't enough. And, like, and I knew we were about to become a weekend team. And, like, that's what everyone wants. And I was like, it's not enough. Like, I know I'm about to get all these goals that I always wanted. And it just felt like why isn't this enough for me and I was like because I want a career I always want to I want my career and I'm ready to like move on to that stage um and I'd had like my I've done like commercials and never booked anything like I think I booked one commercial in New York uh that still runs to this day um you can see me in a ball gown and uh someone is calling me my pug fat uh so (laughs) it's on like the animal planet channel The audition was for a crazy cat lady, and I was like, oh, I booked it. Then I show up on set, and they're like, wear this ball again. I was like, cool. And then I got on set, and the director's like, I'm going to do the narration. It won't be me, but I'm just, 
And it was like, they, like, my name was Nikki and my dog's name was Paris. It was like a play on that. It was like, Paris is out of shape and so is Nikki. And I was like, uh oh, they're calling me fat. And I didn't find out till the, till on set. Yeah, that was like, very unpleasant. That the joke was like, you're a fat lady. And I was like, oh no. And I was much thinner back then. Uh, so I was like, this is a nightmare. Um, but I, didn't, I wasn't booking stuff. So my first feature that I auditioned for, I got like a meeting with the director. Like, not a meeting, but like I got to audition for him directly. And it was for young adult with Jason Reitman. And I was like, my very first audition, I got to do that. Yeah, that's amazing. And then the next thing I went in for uh, was actually a movie that Aubrey Plaza was on, uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. The casting person was like, um, I'm, I was supposed to cast this, but it's no longer filming on the East Coast now. It's filming West Coast, so all casting's going out of California. But I really, so it was the same casting agent. She was like, I really loved you in the last thing. So, like, I think they have to see you. It's a long shot, but I have to put you on tape for them. So she put me on tape for it. I didn't get it. Because I, I think it would have already been cast. Because uh, it wasn't hers to cast anymore. Uh. She just was like, I really like you a lot. Um, and so someone else, like, someone out here got it. And it was, that movie's great, and I loved it. Uh, and Young Adult, the person who got it was great. Uh, uh, and, like, I was like, yeah, that wasn't me. But I could see that they liked me. And I was like, oh, I literally am just losing parts to L.A. actors. I should just be in L.A. Like, so I was like, I guess... And it made me be like, if I did okay in both these, like, and I was just being terrible at commercial auditions, I was like, maybe I should just be where they cast more movies. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to move. But I didn't, like, really do it until one day. I was, like, having a bad day and babysitting and maybe, like, crying on the phone to my mom about how, like... I just feel like I don't know when it's ever going to happen. And she, when we got off the phone, she sent me a text that was like, I booked you a one-way ticket. So my mom just, because I, I needed to move out of my apartment. So I needed to find, and, and like the people I were working for were leaving to go film a movie in Los Angeles. So like I had to get a new job and, and get a new apartment by the end of the month. And that was two weeks away. So my mom, or three weeks away. And my mom was like, I just booked you a one-way ticket. I know you're going to figure it out. So I, like, started crying. I was like, okay, she's right. Like, let's just do this. I've been complaining about New York. I'm ready to move on. So, like, I had to, like, go to my Herald and Mott. I, like, told Anthony King first. And he's like, well, that's really exciting. And I, I wish you the best of luck. Um, and then so I told my Herald team they were not happy. I think they thought that I knew the decision longer and that I just hadn't told them. Right, but no, you had just... I was like, like, I'm moving in two weeks. I like sent you a text. Yeah, I like... I I was like, I'm moving in two weeks. And and they were losing another person, Darcy Carden. Uh, She was also coming out to help work on a movie. Um, And so I think they thought they were going to be broken up. But they just... They they got two new people and they became Airwolf, who was amazing. So, like, that's uh, that's a weekend team now at the the Beast. Uh... So, like, they didn't get broken up. They, uh, But, like, I, I felt like they were upset with me. Then I told my mod team, who I was very... I'd only been on mod four months. And I told them. And everyone was crying and so lovely. And I was like, oh, it's, I didn't know them very well. But the, they were so, like, kind about it. And then a lot of those people, like, ended up out here, too. Uh, like, the very next year. So then I just moved. And I, like, didn't have a job. I was, like, staying at friends' places and... 
then I ended up working on the to-do list as like Aubrey's cast assistant slash production assistant slash background. Like I just was doing everything. And how did you get that job? Well, I knew Aubrey and then I had worked for Maggie Carey and Bill Hader in New York as their babysitter. And so they got me like on working in their production office, but also being like, I was do I had a lot of hats. It was a, you know, very low budget. So like I was driving Aubrey to set and like, you know, she needed something, but also sort of kind of being there for her in those, cause it was, it was a six day work. It was a six day shoot every week. So we only had one day off. And then like on my one day off, I was babysitting for Maggie and Bill because Darcy was bait was living with them and babysitting the six days. Uh, and then I was giving her a day off, but I saw I was never having a day off, but it was like an intense, it was like overwhelming and intense. And like, I was living in Aubrey's apartment cause she was staying with her boyfriend a lot. She wasn't, wouldn't see him otherwise. Mm-hmm. So she was just like, stay there. I'm staying with Jeff. So, uh, so I was like living there and just working a lot. And then like being like, and then I started taking UCB. I, I took a UCB class immediately with, uh, Billy Merritt. Um, so like the production just to like brush up. Well, I was like, I want to get on a team and I know right. how, and I know that like, I already knew the reputation that like, that New Yorkers were coming out and sort of expecting to be on. But like, I was like, well, I don't want that to seem like what I'm doing. And I like, emailed Neil Campbell to be like, Hey, I'm here. UCB is a big part of my life. I'd love for it to continue on anything you need. I would love to do. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm here and I'm excited and I'm, I'm taking a class with Billy right now. Uh, and then that was, yeah, I moved here in June and then that movie was like a six week shoot. And then, uh, I got on Harold Knight in October of that. Like, so Which I, was Cooper or another team? Uh, the Great War. Oh, The Great War. So you were on The Great War and then Cooper mm-hmm. and then Outside Dog. Yeah. So like that, like, but that like got me in, uh, uh, and uh, yeah, like my grandmother like loaned me money to like buy a car and like do first month's rent. And then she died. So I did not have to pay that back. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, that's <laughs> uh, cause it was a loan, but I was like, she like gave me six grand, which cause I didn't have any money. I just like came out here like broke. Uh, and then the like, guest yeah, so was able to get my apartment and buy a cheap car. That's still knock, knock, uh, <laughs> still running. Um, and then, yeah, and then Sarah Chase and I moved into the uh, place on Beachwood which in September. And then I got on Harold in October. It was perfect. It was so perfect that, like, it worked out. And and it's so crazy that I got onto Harold Knight so quickly. And I, the Great War was already a team. Brandon Sorenberger and I both replaced two of their current members. They had never met me. They had never seen my face. I think Josh Simpson had, like, seen Project Improviser. He was, like, aware of it. Mm -hmm. And I just, like, walked on one day, replacing a team member they had never heard of me. And they were so gracious and nice. Oh, that's really nice. Because I could imagine that would be, that would suck. Like, I was replacing a friend. They didn't know me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and it was just, and, and Neil Campbell was so immediately welcoming, like, I know some people find him a little, like, intimidating, but he was so immediately nice to me that I was just like, oh, everyone is friendly in L.A. And, like, he was, like, like he, like he there was, like, background work on Comedy Bang Bang, and he was like, hey, I know you're new here. If you'd like to do this, I'd love to get people in the community. Like, he was, like, I, he got me, like, work and stuff. So I was immediately, like, this is home. It just felt like home yeah. so, so fast people to me. People being, like, 
actually nice. Yeah. And no snowpocalypse. No snowpocalypse. Uh, I mean, you know, LA has its own like hard things. Like, God, I've paid so much money in parking tickets. Like thousands. I've literally paid thousands of dollars <laughs> towards towing and parking and like all kinds of stuff. Or like last year, my engine blew up, so I had to buy a new engine. Like, yeah, it's just a thing you know is going to keep happening. Yeah, it's and like always be a nightmare. But everything else has been like the people and oh yeah, we have Carmageddon. You have Carmageddon. New York has snow no, Carmageddon, Carmageddon is always a fake out though. It's always That's like true. supposed to be Carmageddon, and then no one's on the road. Maybe Carmageddon is just your co- your car <laughs> being towed at the worst moment. Yeah, that's my yeah my car like going to an like going to an audition at two hundred La Brea and then walking out to your car <laughs> being towed and being like that audition just cost me seven hundred dollars. Yeah, that's the worst. Oh, uh, that's happened to me. But yeah, it, LA was so immediately welcoming, uh, and then like a lot of good New York people were moving out. Like I didn't. I Paul Welsh and I were not friends in New York. Not that I didn't like him. I was like, he's very funny. I didn't know him though. Uh, and the New Yorkers out here like kept together at first. So I like, got to know New Yorkers that I didn't know very well that were very like nice. And like Paul and I have become like just such such close friends. Or even Nicole, I didn't know her in New York very well. And then like becoming like really good friends with Nicole and Madeline. Like uh, not that Madeline's from New York, but like just I feel like here like everyone is so willing to like give everyone a chance because everyone could be future superstars and that is so much more apparent here than it was in new york in new york it was like you've got to prove that you're the best and here it's just like man someone cannot even get a call back for harold Knight and then book something and become very wonderful the next you know week you know or not wonderful but like not become wonderful but like become someone that we all respect yeah it has nothing to do with this theater it's just that we're all like-minded individuals chasing something special and what a great house that ucb is for us to like live under for the time being um i feel like you've had like the interesting experience of having like people you're very close to like have really big things happen to them like john milheiser getting put on snl like how do you react to those things in the moment and how does it feel to you uh well yeah Aubrey was the first like close friend that like really like took off and and I'd still say I'd argue she's one of the most famous people coming out of UCB period yeah she is she's doing amazing stuff uh it was always just so exciting like she like it's it it's never surprising who makes it big because they're always like the tenacious ones it's a good reminder to be tenacious like Aubrey even when she was just like a waitress who couldn't afford to buy dinner. Like, she always seemed like she was on the verge. And Millheiser's always been just, like, making stuff and doing things and you gotta do this and you gotta come to my show. Like, he's always been, like, just so good at, like, going after what he wanted. And so it's like, yeah, those those people are gonna make it. And then there are people, you know, like, I wasn't as close to Donald Glover, but, like, we were friends and we did improv together. Peaches and cream, y'all. That was our team. Um, but, like, just be like, yeah, you're so insanely talented and just going after stuff with gusto. It's a good reminder to do that. Yeah. I've, I feel like it's pretty encouraging to yeah. see all that stuff happening. And to be like, if it's not my day-to-day, like, it, it's here. Like, it, it, it's, it's on the horizon, you know. And I... Whenever good stuff happens to friends, it, it, I think it could be easy to be jealous. I've never been a jealous person. It's just not 
it really is not in my nature to really be jealous. Uh, I don't know. I'm very lucky that that's a true thing. Cause I can be kind of bitter about a lot of stuff, but like, but jealousy is not like a real thing for me. Um, like I can be like indignant about what I think is right and wrong that happens with people. But like when people get stuff, I do not like, it just is a reminder that like, that like if those people are doing so well and I'm running in that crowd, then like, I'm on the right path. I must be like, like if those people would choose to work with me and they're so talented that I gotta be doing it's such a, yeah. it's such like a, a yeah you're doing this right because 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 you're with the people who are making it yeah when did writing come into your life had you been writing in New York or you started writing out here I wrote uh, a musical in New York uh, with Leslie Kareen who's out here now um, she we wrote a musical together uh, I one day like just thought of a song on the subway and then immediately like got off the subway and left her uh, a voicemail like <laughs> singing the song being like I don't know I just want to write maybe uh, she what was a piece of it uh, it was a uh, pillow fight love scene uh, it was like, oh, how did it go? It was like, oh, I think originally I was like, um, it was like, you wear that tank top and strawberry lip gloss and I'll wear my nightgown and have my hair down. It's our pillow fight love scene. And it was just this idea that like two young girls would fall in love and like, like have their first lesbian experience together, but have no clue what to do with it. Yeah. And so we oh, wrote, great. Uh, we wrote a musical called girl camp about like these counselors in training who like fall in love. Um, uh, and it was really fun. John Flynn, who also did uh, project improviser was our director and I'm not a musical person, not into them. Don't watch them. <laughs> but uh, uh, Leslie was someone that I knew like, we did story pirates together in New York. So like we, you know, we're always kind of singing and doing stuff. So, um, so we wrote it together and it was, we wrote it very fast, we wrote it in three days and then cast some great people. And it ran at UCB for like 10, 11 months. Like it went for a long time and we like, yeah, it was really fun. And then, uh, I, my friend Brian Glidewell had an idea for a musical, uh, and, but he just wasn't, he was just sitting on it. And we worked together at like a, a technology company at the time. He was a developer and I was his project manager. So I was like, well, we're at work together. And we literally sat alone in an office all day making gobs of money. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, well, how about the, after like closing time, like we just stay in the office and we uh, workshop it. So I helped him write News of Doozies, uh, which is a, a musical about Newsies, but if the but the rich were also cannibals <laughs> uh and lauren uh, adams was the original director who was also on kimmy unbreakable kimmy schmidt uh she was the director um but i i, I like knew i was uh, about to move so i was like i'm just gonna write this i don't want to be in it uh, i want to help you write the first draft then i'm out so like <laughs> i kind of like like i think it changed a lot after i left but like i helped him at least get it out on paper and uh there were some fun lyrics that i feel like survived that I wrote uh, awesome. uh, and then so I moved out here and I had an idea for a screenplay but I was probably never gonna write it because I just was so afraid of writing mm-hmm. and then I like told it to my friend Jessica Stickles who like was was writing like she used to work in development in New York and then was out here she was a a manager's assistant out here but like was still like doing like writing first drafts for people for like pilot presentation stuff or, or whatever. So I like told her the idea and she's like, well, let me help you outline it. 
she's like, I have an idea too. So let's just help each other outline something on a Sunday. So we like met and like we started with outlining mine. And then she was like, I think we should just work on this because we like liked it and it was coming very easily. So we wrote uh, a screenplay called Fat Year uh, that didn't, it didn't really go anywhere. Like it, we had some options to development, to develop it and stuff. And like, but it did land me my manager that I have. I'm, uh, uh, and like, so, cause it got around, like we passed it to all kinds of friends wrote, uh, we just had like a first draft. Like we placed in a few, um, what do you call those con- contests? Like script competitions. Yeah. We placed like not far, but like we were making it into like the finals or whatever of things. And so it was like a decent, decently funny script. Yeah. But that's so much cool stuff to come out of. Yeah. Out of like your first like screenplay. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, but then we had like problems as a team and like broke up and got back to Like we were just like, we weren't the perfect team for it, but it was good because it made me, start writing uh and then yeah it got me the manager that i have now eventually that development deal like really burned up in flames but uh and it wasn't uh, it wasn't the best experience at the time but we've made amends and like you know it's it's fine now but it was really tough it was really tough to have someone be like i want to develop this and bring it to sony and then because of personal issues have it kind of yeah that doesn't sound it wasn't fun but like we've come like we've recently like finally like talked and like we're all cool now and like it hey that's a good it's a very good it's a very good learning experience to have my first thing happen like that because i was like okay now i see what can happen Mm -hmm. and so then i was like resigned to be like i'm gonna work by myself and then the very next thing i did was i tried to write a pilot with jeff hiller who's amazing and like we didn't really get very far in the writing process but we did go pitch it around and that was so cool like to go from someone who was terrified to write my whole entire life so like writing one full thing and then the next year like being able like being at like on lots like being at Fox being at Universal and being like I'm pitching not to those companies but to other production companies that are there like I was like man this happened so fast yeah like, but I didn't think I was good enough to even try and I tried it all and I'm already like telling people other ideas that like and everyone like I feel like the biggest lesson I learned is that like I was telling myself no for years. And the moment that I stopped, everyone was just so willing to give me a shot. (laughs) And it's like, eh, put this in the podcast for sure. Stop telling yourself what you can't do. Like let other people do that. Just try it all and see what comes. I mean, I still like, yeah, Hey, I'm not, I haven't sold anything. I haven't really booked anything big, but like, I learned some big lessons that like no one doesn't want me to. And I feel like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I feel like when you're out a lot, like it feels like you're doing it. Yeah. When you're like being like, okay, here's some, like someone be like, I like that. What else do you have? Like, it's, it's so funny to be like, these are seeds that like maybe nothing will come from, but like someone who can make something happen is listening to me. Exactly. It is yeah. crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, it is the craziest thing. And I feel like, uh, yeah, for, for a while, and I think still, like, L.A. is feel, feeling like the land of milk and honey. It's a land of, like, a lot of disappointment, too. And, like, that is, like, it is more real and every day than it was in New York. Because in New York, there weren't as many things that I was literally being turned down for. But it also is, like, man, it feels pretty cool to even, like, 
get in your car and like drive to Fox and like have a meeting and then the next week go in for an audition in a building next to it. Like it's just cool to get to do it. Uh, I just have to remind myself that it's cool. And I think that's what the restlessness that I've felt my whole life. Like it's starting to feel less intense out here because there's a cool stuff going on, you know? And like, I see more, I'm starting to see like, I can't take away the past 10 years. Like I can't say that that was for nothing. It made me, it made me so confident and have such a strong voice and like figure out a lot of like what I want to say. And then, so now I'm here and I'm able to say it. Yeah, like, you're you're in like the best place you could be right now. Yeah, and it and I, I feel like recently the past like two years especially, being like, remember that this is this is happy, like this is cool, uh, and like I was saying that Paul Welsh and I talk about we are so lucky. Like not only do we know the most talented people, like hands down. I know funnier people than any of you people will ever meet. No, you know, like, we all know these people that are amazing. Like, we know, like, the best people. And not only are they so funny and talented, but they're so nice and so willing to, like, help. And, like, you know, like, it's just amazing. Like, we, I think L.A. gets a bad rap for, like, being, like, people are fake. Or, like, yeah, I guess, but people are fake in my hometown, too. Like, you know, (laughs) like, people are fake everywhere. Um but in the UCB community that we're in a part of, uh, and I think LA's really good at being like the nicest, coolest people are the ones that we want to stick around. And like, that's just sort of like the energy, the core of the people. I, no, not that New York wasn't like this, but there was a little bit of like, you're not like, you couldn't get into the inside of it. Like there was like, there seemed to be more blockades of like, you know, this is, you haven't made it to the inner part of it yet. Mm-hmm. And here it's just like, who's the inner part? I have no idea who they are. <laughs> right, is right. it Betsy Sodaro? Who's the nicest, friendliest person you could ever meet? Like, yeah. is that who the, like, is, <laughs> is, it might be, but like, because of, I, I think I credit it to a lot of Midwesterners being out here. And like, it, like this, because like, it makes sense. Like geographically, they're like, the, there are like a lot of heartland people here yeah. who are very like, just like, if nothing else, like just welcoming and hi, nice to meet you kind of people. Uh, whereas like New York is kind of like busy, like just being your own, like, this is my world. That uh, like, it just feels like friendly and warm. I was like ready for the change. Yeah. Is there a moment that you think about is like, that's been like your happiest moment out in LA? I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, I'm on a team with your fiance, Madeline, and, and Nicole Byer. And I love everything we get to do together. Like, we went to Portland and we ate too much food and got sick. And, like, I was just like, we're so stupid and, like, having... Traveling to do a show as that team. Yeah, but I don't know. Getting paid by people to... Yeah, like, that it. kind of stuff has been fun. And then I'm on Search History now uh, with a bunch of amazing ladies and, like, sometimes we just have the most fun like I don't know I don't know if there's one moment or or maybe this is even like a stupid thing like I think my first year in LA oh one of like the first like buds I met like out a lot was Drew Tarver who is insanely talented friendly and fun like he's just got it all uh and I remember like just being out late drinking with him and then, like, we walked outside of birds and it started to sprinkle. 
and I drunkenly screamed at this person I didn't know very well. <laughs> you need to put me home. <laughs> I just said, you need to put me home. And then, like, he made sure I got home okay. And just being like, I don't know you very well, but this feels like we're all good friends. And I don't know. I don't know what the... There's not one moment, though. But it is, like, I feel like that was one where I was like, I... In that moment... Because I knew who Drew was and how much he mattered to everyone. And, and he was being so nice to me. And I felt so comfortable. And I was like, I feel like a part of this in a bigger way than I ever had. Like, I'm slowly, like, I was a part of New York. But, like, but like this, I was like, this is, this is home now. Like, it just, oh. I was like, this home. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. This yeah. feels like a really cool place. Yeah, I like the, the way you describe it. This feels cool. <laughs> yeah, I I really do. I I think I also decided to love LA. I was like, you gonna move there and you're gonna love it. You got no other choice. Where else you gonna go? <laughs> <laughs> gonna move to Paris? I don't know what's gonna happen. So, but I've definitely been like, I love LA, and I get like sort of protective of it too. Like, I hate when people talk bad. I'm like, yeah, I love it. You don't understand. Everyone's so nice here. <laughs> uh, so. What would be your, like, vision board for what five years from now would look like? Five years from now, um, I would love to, I would love to be doing it all, I guess. I would love, five years from now, I, I, I would love to have a movie that I wrote in production that I'm starring in. Yeah. Uh, I would love to have other stuff. Yeah, I could see myself... I see myself in a writer's room and I see myself on camera and and I see myself doing with with all of our friends um, and, and like helping other people. I don't know if I would direct, but maybe that's something I could do one day. Yeah. Um, but definitely like writing and acting like on and like and like, man, I could see me and Rebel Wilson doing a movie together. That's a crazy thing to say out loud, but like. I once had like a like a one two line interaction with her, and I was like, I like her. I think I would like to work with her. Like that's what a vision board is good for. Put yeah, that out there. yeah. Or I want to I want to write something for Emma Stone. I love her. I want her to be in a movie of mine. What is it called? You're secreting it. I'm secreting. I'm saying it very clearly out loud. <laughs> I yeah. I and and I would like a house with a pool. In the Hollywood Hills or someplace else? I think in the Franklin Hills. Yeah, I like that area. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm so close to all the things anyway. Like, uh, I like just move two blocks north is what I want. <laughs> yes. Does your pool have a hot tub? Yeah, hot tub <laughs> next to it. Man, doesn't that just sound nice? Yeah, that sounds really nice. I just nice. feel like because actors, like not because like I want wealth and money. It's just like you have such like a stressful long day. Like, don't you just going to hang out in some water on the weekend? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, a lot. Just hang out in some water on the weekend. Have some friends over. Come float and drink a beer. Have some. I'll have three PBRs for you. You and Madeline can come on. I'll have lots of snacks for her. Oh, uh, yeah. She's going to need a lot of snacks. <laughs> she loves snacking. She's not a big drinker. No. no. <laughs> Give her a PBR full of uh, combos. You know what? She loves Diet Coke. She, she loves a Diet she Coke. Lo- I know. <laughs> I watched uh, my Diet Coke disappear last night. Oh, yep. She, she just, drank it all. What a monster. But yeah, that's... It, and it's doing not... It's not doing anything so different, but just doing it on a level where we're getting paid. Yeah. I just want to... Because that seems like that would be the, yeah. the coolest thing in the world, to do all the stuff you love. Yeah. And get I, paid. I feel like I'd love, working, I'd love to work with Paul Feig, too, one day. It's been secreted. It's secreted. This is a secret. Don't tell him. <laughs> 
Uh, Marcy, thank you so much this for coming on. Uh, so much fun for I, having me talk. <laughs> I loved it. No, <laughs> it's the best. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. I'll see you soon. Yeah, bye. Okay, get out. Rock, rock, rock. <laughs> I stand too straight or I stand too tall I bump my head and forget it all So there you have it. That was my interview with the wonderful Marcy Jero. If you want to see Marcy perform improv live, you can see her at UCB Franklin every Sunday night at 11 with her team Search History. Again, I hope you'll consider subscribing to On the Cusp, and if you enjoy the show, you'd make my day by rating us or writing a review on iTunes. Special thanks to the band Hi-Ho Silvero and Casey Trilo for all the music in this episode, to my sound editor Joe Burge, and to my producer Cece, I can has Let's Talk Bitcoin Magic Words, Pierce. This has been On the Cusp. That's your outro music.